Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. But today I want to get right into it. I'm looking forward to this. Last week we started a, kind of a, I guess I call it a mini-series called How Do I Pray? Was anyone present last week? Maybe you, you checked it out online. If you didn't get a chance to um, check that out, you can go online. We do have, if you go to our website, faithcity.tv, go to Michigan campus, uh, you can see have the audio messages right there. It connects right into uh, Apple Podcast. If you have the podcast app, you can subscribe, and every time something's uploaded, you'll get notified if you turn your notifications on, which is great. You can also go to YouTube, our YouTube channel, Face City Fenton, and uh, have everything there. I will say this. Sometimes it's hard to find when you pull up the page. you got to push live videos, and then all those will come up, so you have access to it there. Um, but we talked about some key things, some key takeaways. And the first one when it, concerning prayer was that prayers aren't just formal letters to God. I think it's easy sometimes to get into this formality type thing, you know, dear God, uh, you know, dear Father, to whom it may concern, and it becomes kind of this this lettery type thing, this religious type thing. But you know, we we learn that prayer really is a real life conversation with your Father, and I think sometimes that's hard maybe to get. Now, as you go along in your journey, and you begin to see how amazing and how open and how loving God is, I think it becomes easier uh, to see prayer in a different way. But it isn't just formal letters to God. The second thing, really, that we took away was that we can pray any and everywhere. There's no particular space. Now, when we were looking there in Matthew chapter 5, we know that Jesus is talking specifically about a prayer closet. But we, we kind of broke apart what that really meant, and it really is just talking about a posture of your heart. It's finding a space where you can concentrate and focus on God, and I'm all about that. You know, sometimes maybe if I don't, if I'm not, if I don't clarify things enough, it can almost seem like, well, prayer and Bible doesn't matter. Oh, absolutely, it matters, but it's just the way that we approach it, right? It's, it's from the uh, what's the source of why we're doing this? If it's to get God to love us more or be closer, then I think we're missing the mark. It's, it's more of a way to say, okay, God, I need to just put myself in a place where I can eliminate distraction. That's a good way to put it, eliminate distraction, so I can focus on you and your love for me. And the third thing is praying isn't about specific time frames. You know, it can be easy to feel, I told stories about how You know, I thought, man, this year I'm going to start off on the right foot. Good intentions, right? I'm going to get in my prayer time. I'm going to really get in this, my my devotionals. And so I would strive to have a certain number that I would meet. And how we know as soon as you miss the number, usually condemnation creeps in. And so it's not about uh, time frames. It's really a life of the Apostle Paul tells us what? To pray without ceasing. It's this never-ending relationship with our source, a never-ending relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we really summed it up like this. Old prayer idea is what? It's formal prayers to a distant God. Now, I say this from my experience. Maybe you've never experienced this before. But there are many times where I would, I would pray and I felt almost as if I was trying to pray to someone far away. Has anyone ever felt that way? But here's the new prayer reality. Prayer is this, a never-ending relationship with my Heavenly Father. 
where, where God is there all the time. God is present all the time. Everything I say, everything I do, God is there for me, which is absolutely beautiful. And so really the takeaway is to be creative and find ways to commune with your heavenly father all day long, whatever that looks like. You know, I often use this idea, you know, with my relationship with Kristen, um, there's, you know, we have time frames where we almost feel like we're gone so much through the week that, you know, it might just be one of those moments where you sit down finally on a Friday or something and you go, oh, hey, you're here, you know, kind of jokingly. But that's just how it can feel because you're go, go, go. Well, sometimes life gets busy. And I don't want anyone to fall into condemnation over, oh, I didn't spend my time. But here's the thing I found. In those busy moments, when I can just find little moments just to tuck away, I don't care if it's two minutes. I don't care if it's just before I go into a meeting. I don't care if it's, I'm going to get up a little early tomorrow because I just feel like I need some connection here. Not that God's left, but for me to be more aware of that. Those moments will give you the feel you need for that busy week. And so talk to your father. And sometimes, this is a big one I had to learn, just be quiet. Because prayer for me for the longest time was I'm saying a bunch and asking for a bunch of stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But I forgot that there's this, this certain element where we're just quiet and present in the moment. And, and, you know, to be quiet for five minutes can seem like five hours at times if you're not used to that, right? But it's so empowering. It brings such a peace when you come to this place where you're like, I can just be in your presence and I don't have to say anything. I love it when my kids or grandkids will just come up now, you know, they're older now, so they don't, usually don't sit on my lap anymore. But the younger ones will. They'll come just sit on my lap. And that does so much for me. And we don't have to have conversation. It's just we're here together. We're just being together. And so do you think of God in that way? You know, the scriptures tells us, tell us to be still and know that I am God. I have to have those moments sometimes where I have to just be still and know God's still on the throne. God's still good. God's still with me. How about you? The prophet Isaiah says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are what? Fixed on you. I'm attached to you. I'm meditating on you. That's where that perfect peace comes in. You know, I told you some stories about how we used to have these uh, men's prayer meetings in the morning. They were like at 5 a.m. before all the guys would go to work type thing. And so, you know, we would show up to these things. And sometimes I'd stay up way too late the night before. And so I'd show up and I'd be like barely able to keep my eyes open. But, you know, I found that sometimes I've been in moments where I'm just at peace. I'm communing with God. I have that quiet time. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you just fall asleep. Now, the old Andy would feel guilty, like, oh, my gosh, I just fell asleep on God. I'm sorry, God, I was being rude, you know. But, you know, I remember the first time that, that when, when this situation happened that I felt like Holy Spirit was just saying, hey, listen, you're in my presence. Maybe you need some rest. Maybe just receive what I'm giving you right now. And it's in those moments I was like, wow, this is so cool. And then, you know, I might wake up from a prayer session where I maybe took a little nap and I feel rejuvenated and I feel good. And I go along my day and guess what? Everything's okay. God's not offended. Everything's okay. And I'm telling you that because when you experience the peace of Father, it just changes you, it changes you doesn't it? 
And so again, after getting rest, I would just return to what I was doing before and everything was just fine. In fact, it was even a little better than it was before. So what I want to do today, kind of with this um, foundation, if you will, of what prayer looks like, uh, what it is, what it isn't, I want us to take a brief look at the prayer that Jesus told us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, actually. Um, It isn't that we pray these words ritualistically. You know, I know some people, this is the prayer that they pray, and I don't have an issue with that. I'm not saying we can't pray these exact words. But we do have to remember that Jesus was speaking as a Jew to Jews in the first century. And there's some different things that we can pull out of this and bring it up to the 21st century and realize, oh, wow, okay, this isn't about a certain religious thing like, okay, Jesus, this is the perfect prayer. If I pray this prayer, God will hear me. No, no, no. He's given us some um, different points. I would believe, the, say, the perfect points to pray because it covers all of life. And so let's break this down. Matthew chapter 6. And I want to look at this. Let's read this together here. It'll be up on the screens. Starting verse 9. It says, In this manner, therefore pray. So Jesus has given us a setup here. You know, this is during the Sermon on the Mount, and he's wanting people to know that there's a certain way to pray. Look what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Can I get an amen? Now, how many are familiar with this portion of Scripture, with this prayer? Um, It's pretty common. You know, I've been to different services, um, community events, things like that, where they'll say, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. And it's kind of neat. You're like, together, you're praying this. But there's some really cool things. I want to just go verse by verse here and just take a few moments this morning. But this is how Jesus says we should pray in verse 9. And this is what I love here. This is how he starts out. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Say that with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, do you notice that that Jesus here, he doesn't teach us to open up prayer with Almighty God, judge of the living and the dead. Not that that's wrong, but do you notice the word he uses here? He says, Father. Now, if you've gone here for any amount of time, you understand this concept of God as a father. But maybe this is foreign to you. It certainly was foreign to the Jews who were hearing this. Again, this is where we have to try to put ourselves in their shoes and hear like they're hearing. I mean, they had Father Abraham. They had fathers of the faith, right? But to call God a father was a big deal. Jesus was saying, God is our father. I believe this is the key to effective prayer. Not that it's going to work better, But you're going to be in a better place, a better place in your heart when you see this. Jesus takes this affectionate term of father. See, when you pray, you're talking to your daddy who loves you. Now, even me making that statement, some people are like, what? It can kind of feel weird, right? Daddy God. Although Jesus said to cry out, Abba, Abba. I mean, you could translate that daddy. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, 
And, and it's really hard, and I know it can feel kind of weird. Maybe, maybe father's a good term for you. Maybe you don't have to say daddy. I don't. I know some who use the word papa. Some of my good friends, they love that word papa. Why? It's a term of endearment. It's affectionate. And, and this is so foreign to some people to see God in this manner, but I think it's so important because a wrong perception of your heavenly father leads to wrong relationship with him. You see things, I believe, from a wrong perspective. Listen, I've been there. I'm speaking from experience, right? Yeah, that's my dad over there. He's always angry. He suffers from obsessive compulsive disorder. He likes to get back at people. I mean, first of all, how can you be intimate with someone like that? And if God is love, that's who Jesus shows us God is, and the Apostle John really expounds on that, then we can see God as a father. Um. I think it's important that we see this term of endearment here because Jesus, he shows us a different description of who God is. And so we have to get this right. He says, our father in heaven. Say that with me, our father in heaven. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Now, as a kid, you know, you just memorize stuff, right? I'm like, hallowed be your name. If anyone were to ask, what's hallowed mean? I'd be like, I don't know. It's just part of the prayer. Well, hallowed means greatly revered and honored. But what's interesting, if you look at the original language here, the translation could be this. Our Father in heaven, may your true identity be recognized and honored. That's a whole different way than hallowed. But that's how whoever translated at the time Translated, but think of that. May your true identity be recognized and honored. In other words, may you be revealed as my father who loves me and cares for me. In fact, may the whole world know this about you. Now, now something that, that we have to notice here is in the very beginning of the prayer, Jesus wants us to, to think outside of ourselves and to say, wow, okay, wait, wait, wait. Here's this God who loves me affectionately. In fact, he's so good that I want his true identity to be recognized and honored. Not some false picture that I've been painted or some false idea that someone sees. Do you see how prayer is actually going outside yourself and can affect others? Because how you see God is how you walk in this world. And listen, I mean, you can, there might be people on the job. There, there might be people on social media. So many times, just the other day, you know, we were having family night. And um, I don't really get on Facebook anymore uh, other than to maybe post something for, you know, the church. But, uh, my, you know, Kristen read something to me from a friend of ours. And when she read the post, I was just like, what? And it was such a harsh picture of Heavenly Father. Someone we, we know, know and love dearly, okay? We're all on a journey. And I'm not even saying, oh, wrong. I'm just saying to me, it just really rubbed me in a way where I was like, oh, because I thought of all the people who are reading this and either saying, that's why I want nothing to do with God or religion, or someone reading it and suddenly, instantly going into this mode of self-loathing and condemnation because of what was said. See, how we see God, and I believe 
it's so important to see this true identity, to, to recognize it and honor it. It makes a difference in how we even converse with those around us. Does that make sense? And so Jesus is kind of setting us up in this place where we can see the Heavenly Father for who he truly is. Verse 10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, whose will be done? Ours? Yours. We could say Heavenly Father's, right? These aren't trick questions. It's okay. Just And if you get it wrong, I won't be like, ha, ha, you're wrong. But look at this. He sets up this term of endearment for God, Heavenly Father. He wants us to get to this place where we want the true identity of Heavenly Father to be recognized and honored. And then he says, your kingdom, which, by the way, Jesus said that kingdom is within us. Woo, come on now. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the Father's will, and we see this all through. I was just talking to Aaron this morning, even in, in the prayer in the garden there before uh, he was arrested. What did Jesus want? He wanted the, the Father's will. But he adds to it as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven means if it's not his will for there, it's not his will for here. Think about this. And I want you to understand my, my, my heart here. To me, heaven is not far and away. Heaven is here and now. Heaven is within you. Look at the person next to you and say, heaven's in you. Look at the person on the other side and say, heaven's in you. See, just realizing that is going to change everything, right? But heaven's not far and away. So think about this. What kind of things are in heaven? This is what Jesus desires and we should desire to be on earth. Well, think about it. Sickness and disease are not as well then. Poverty and oppression are not as well. Racism, division, um, you know, having a, a vendetta against someone, retribution are not as well. Why? Because those things aren't in heaven. And so his will is to bring that heaven. And we're not talking about out there, Lord, please bring heaven down to earth. He's like, heaven's already within you. So let it out. We were at this, uh, we were, we were at, um, in Peru on a missions trip, and my dad was speaking in these different meetings, and we had these meetings in the jungle. It was really cool. But uh, I remember this part where he, he would just tell you straight out, he speaks Spanglish. It's really bad Spanish mixed in. But I remember he said at one point, and I, I still hear this, he goes, let God out, let it out. And every time I think about the kingdom within me, I hear my dad going, let God out, let the kingdom out. Right? It's like, it's in here, but we need to get it out here. Why? Jesus said it. He said, I want it to be on earth as it is in heaven within you. Isn't it awesome? So sometimes we feel far and away because we, we separate things. We almost see as heaven like it's this planet in the clouds or something. I mean, we've been painting these pictures for years. I mean, there's some beautiful paintings by famous artists of, you know, what they would see as God. And they're beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But when Jesus said to change your mind or repent, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of heaven is within you. I think we need to clue into something. It's not far and away. It's here and now. Say heaven is now. So if you think about sickness and disease and poverty and oppression and division and all these types of things, no father wants these things for his children. So it makes sense that when Jesus starts out as our father, our daddy, our papa, 
right? We could even say our origin, our source, the connection for life, whatever works for you, whatever feels like the most authentic and works. But at the end of the day, we have to know that God wants what's best for us. And so he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, I love this one. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is really cool here because Jesus is transitioning in a way here. First of all, he's identifying the kingdom. So he goes from the kingdom, right? A great big thing. It's all-encompassing, abundant life. It's all we need for a life of godliness. And then he brings it to our daily necessities, the small stuff, right? You can trust God to care for every detail of your life. This isn't just something religious we say on Sunday morning. This is true. Sometimes it's one of those things, I'm a thinker. I'm a deep thinker. Sometimes I overthink stuff. But when I think about how, because my relationship with God has changed so much over the years. And it's almost like, how do I put this? I want it to sound right. I feel so close to God, not because I'm super spiritual or I've achieved all these different things. I just know that God loves me. God's my father, right? But every so often I I, I think about, and it usually happens when I go camping because I look out at the stars. You know, my wife has this, I don't know if you guys have this app. I don't know what it's called, but you can literally look to the sky and it tells you what everything is. It's like, it's overwhelming. Just in how far stuff is away. You know, I'm seeing a light that has taken how many years to get here, and I'm just seeing it now. And I'm thinking, God created this? I don't know. What's that? What else did? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Sorry. Don't take me out of my train of thought, Heather. I love you. (laughs) It's good. But it's in those moments where it kind of just, it's overwhelming. I'm like, this is amazing how big God is, yet the small things matter. God's with me. Promise to never leave, never forsake me, to be with me. This amazes me. And so Jesus is trying to bring us to this place to say, okay, this is about everybody, all creation, everything rolled up in one, encompassing abundant life, but all the way down to the small necessities, God cares for those. And I can trust God with every detail of my life. And so let me encourage you, you know, whenever you pray, don't ever feel or even say the words, you know, I don't want to trouble God with this small thing. Because nothing is too small for God. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Why? Because he's your father. Right? And and because he's your father... You don't have to beg. You can ask boldly, with confidence. I want us to notice the audacity of the words of Jesus here. He says, give us this day. We could say this, give us today our daily bread. Now now think about the audacity of these words. To me, I see this almost as a demand. Not that it has to be done, you know, in a uh, you know, malicious way or in a disrespectful way. But I think about my kids, especially when they were younger. You know, when my kids were young and they were hungry, they didn't, uh, you know, tiptoe around the subject. Dad, Mom, I'm hungry. Maybe something to eat, right? 
Now, there might be some pleases and some thank yous in there, well, some of the time. But never once was I offended because my child asked me for food, even in a demanding way. Why? They're hungry. This happened to me last night. I ate breakfast, and then I was gone all day long. And when I get going on stuff, I don't think about food or eating. I know it surprises you, but I don't think about food or eating. And so by the time I got home, actually, I had to meet Kristen somewhere. We had to drop a vehicle off. And then I'm on my way home, and all I could think about was food. I got to eat. You ever get to that point where you're like, oh, man, I'm getting hungry. And then she's like, hey, let's go to the store. And I'm like, praise the Lord, let's do that, babe. Sounds good, right? So we go to the store. And then we're at the store to get, like, one item, and then it turns into 16 items. I'm just like, wow, I wish I, I well, I wish I was that nice about it. But I finally was like, woman, i got to go home and eat, right? And then I get home, and I'm, I'm not trying to, but I'm just a little on edge. And my wife's like, wow, what is your deal? And I said, I'm hangry. I'm literally, like, my blood sugar's dropping, and I'm hangry right now, right? So, you know, in those moments... Those things happen, but think about this. As a child, they don't wait until they're hangry. They're like, I want to eat now. And I love that Jesus uses these words. Give us today our daily bread. It was a demand, but even though it can be respectful. And again, I was never offended that they asked for food. In fact, it was a delight to give them what they needed and what they desired. Why? Because I'm their father. How much more God? James tells us this, in the same way, your heavenly Father delights to give you good gifts. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with asking for things. There's times, especially for wisdom, sometimes the best thing we can ask for is wisdom in the situation, right? But I just love that Jesus takes us from this Old Testament idea of a God far away, you know, somewhere in a temple where only a, a high priest can go, all the way to bringing him close within, the kingdoms within, It's heavenly father, right? That term is just amazing. And that we're beginning to see the true identity and beginning to not just see it for ourselves, but show the world what that looks like. All the way to this place of this huge kingdom and then down to the small stuff. Why? Because heavenly father delights to give you good gifts. And notice this. We're not praying for tomorrow's bread. We're praying for today's. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 34, don't worry about tomorrow. Why, Jesus? Because that will ruin your today and deprive you of the blessing that God has for you now. In fact, we can take it a step further. This is living by faith. When it's a daily thing of saying, okay, this is where I am, Lord, and I trust you that your provision is real. You've got everything that I need for life and godliness, and I'm I'm sticking here with today. Why? Because worry is future-focused. Don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Worry is future-focused. But get this, peace is now-focused. We have to find those places where we can have peace here and now, resting in the now that God has provided. So what we can see here is the emphasis is a day-by-day relationship. It's something that isn't like, all right, it's, it's Sunday, I'm going to hit you up. Can you take care of the week? And then we come back the following Sunday. This is an everyday, day-by-day relationship. Amen? Verse 12. This is a big one. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
So right off the bat, we can see this is a forgiveness thing, right? So if this is a forgiveness thing, how do you forgive? Well, Jesus says, forgive us our debts. In other words, asking God to forgive me as I forgive others. Now, you know, in the past I've read this and I had a certain idea about it, but the brilliance of Jesus here, especially in this time where he's shifting people from an old covenant focus to a new covenant reality, is amazing, right? He's so brilliant here. He can literally say one thing and give perfect medicine to everyone. So think about this. When you hear and forgive us our debts as we forgive others, if you're self-righteous, you'll hear these words as law. You better forgive or God won't forgive you. Has anyone ever felt that? I mean, I used to have these struggles like, man... Because, you know, let's be honest, if someone really hurts you and does you wrong, it's not, I mean, it does get easier. But in my super immature believing days, it was like, I don't want to forgive them. I want to hold on to this for a little while. Back to my personality, I'm like, I'm going to make you pay a little bit in maybe the cold shoulder or maybe some silence or, you know, what cutting, digging conversation. That, that I'm just being honest. That's how I was. And so when I would hear something like this, I'm like, oh, and I remember times going, well, man, you know what? I guess I just won't get forgiveness from God for a little bit because I'd rather just hold out. And so if you're self-righteous or, or you're in this idea that this is law, you feel like you better forgive or else God won't forgive you. But think about this. And this is why Jesus sets this up, starting with this heavenly father idea. If you know, or at least they're beginning to know, that God is your loving Father, you'll hear these words as grace. In other words, my Father has forgiven me, and in his name, I can forgive others. You see the difference? In fact, we go on to see this idea. And even the Apostle, I love the Apostle John says in 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us, right? It's like God starts the thing, starts the ball rolling. And so, what Jesus really can do and really knows how to do well is reveal the human heart. Reveal where you are in your thinking, your paradigm, your thought process. In fact, in 1 John four twenty, John writes this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they can see or have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. In other words, haters going to hate. Why? Because hate is in their heart. Right? We all know that the fruit reveals the tree. But see, if you get to this place where you begin to understand or have apprehended the love of your Heavenly Father, guess what? You won't be a hater anymore. You'll be a lover. You'll be a forgiver. And that's why Paul could write in Colossians, I believe from personal experience, forgive as the Lord forgave you. See how it progresses? So our forgiveness then comes from the forgiveness that God has already freely extended to us. And honestly, that's the proper order. We've got to get this right. So even when I was thinking those ideas like, well, I guess the Lord won't forgive me. Give me about another day or so because I'm going to hold on to this. I was totally off base. The fact is, God had already forgiven me, and if I had realized how huge his forgiveness was, I would be so much quicker to offer that same forgiveness to others. And I would say, I'm much better at that today. 
I mean, there's times where literally something will happen, and it's like, eh, I forgive them. And it's, and it's like a reminder. I go, wow, 10 years ago, that would have never happened. What happened? A heart change. I began to see that God initiates and we respond. God has already forgiven me, and because of that, I have the strength, the courage, the power to forgive others. Isn't that beautiful? But see, if we don't respond when God initiates, in essence, we're just saying that God never initiated. We don't even see it. So I want you to see the connection here. If we don't believe God has forgiven us, then it becomes really hard to forgive others. And I believe Jesus is bringing us to a place to realize, listen, your forgiveness of others, it comes from my forgiveness already initiated to you. 13, the first part, it says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this is a tricky one. I would pray this prayer over and over, and I remember several times going, wait a minute, why would God lead me into temptation? Has anyone ever thought this? Like, you prayed the prayer, maybe just for the first time today, you're like, it says that? <laughs> yeah. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, first of all, here's a question. Does God tempt us? The scripture emphatically says no. God, tempt, God tempts no one. This is in scripture, right? So then why did Jesus teach us to pray as if God might be the one leading us into temptation? Now, let me just say this. I don't think this was ever meant to be controversial, right? The meaning is quite simple, and I believe it's pretty clear if you read it from a Middle Eastern cultural mindset. So again, this is one of those moments where when we read this, we have to realize Jesus was a Jew speaking to Jews in the first century, okay? So just think about this. Um, you know, typically in Hebrew poetry and the Psalms, you would see this particular, uh, particular things phrased this way. A point was often made by placing two contrasting ideas together. Okay, completely opposite ideas in order to make it correct. The, the actual technical term is antithetical parallelism. Say that about five times quick, right? But this is, this is how Hebrew poetry in the Psalms would work many times. In other words, one idea is being emphasized by two contrasting items or ideas. I'll give you an example. In Psalm 37.9, it says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord they shall inherit the earth. Now, there's a contrast here between being cut off and what? Inheriting the earth. But the emphasis lies right in between. What's the emphasis? Wait upon the Lord. The whole point of this verse is to wait upon the Lord. Right? Take your time with God. Hear his voice. Wait upon the Lord. This idea really, there's two groups here, right, that inherit the earth. Two groups here. And only one inherits the earth. Who is it? Well, not this one, but that one. You follow. So here's a modern day way of saying this. Let's say you go to your boss as an employee. And you say to them, um, I don't want you to fire me, but I want you to give me a promotion. Now, who would ever say that? Right? That's a weird way to say it. But see, this is a language thing. Has anyone ever learned a different language? Let's take Spanish, for instance. You know, how many here like cheese sandwiches? Anyone? Three of us. Great. Well, well, when I was a kid, come on, grilled cheese? 
Okay, you're like, if you melt that stuff, I'm all about it. Okay, I get it. But you know, in English, you just say a cheese sandwich. In Spanish, it's like un sandwich de queso. In other words, you're saying a sandwich of cheese. Now, would that seem kind of odd if someone said, hey, man, what do you want to eat? Um, I want a sandwich of cheese. Like, you mean a cheese sandwich? No, a sandwich of cheese. See, with languages, sometimes there's this different way of, of, of perceiving and seeing things. So we have to understand, in the Hebrew way of saying things, they would do this. So would you go to your boss and say, I don't want you to fire me. I want you to give me a promotion. No. But there's one desire here. But it's being presented in two contrasting scenarios, being fired or promoted. What do you really want? You want the promotion, right? So it's the same way. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's really just presenting one desire. I don't want to give in to temptation. So what Jesus is saying is through the love of this Father, this Heavenly Father, who loves you so dearly, who provides for you, who has already forgiven you so you can forgive others, he also gives you the power to say no to temptation, to say no to sin. Isn't that wild? And what happens a lot of times is some people confuse the devil with the Lord. And we've seen this a lot. I've heard people say things, well, God gives and God takes away. They got this from one scripture in Job, one verse. You know that later on in Job, God comes and refutes that? He says, you got me all wrong? How do we know that? What's Jesus saying in John 10.10? I come to give you life and life more abundantly. It's the thief who steals, kills, and destroys. In other words, I give and give and give. I think it is the amplified version that says... um, I come to give you life and abundance to the full till it overflows. I mean, that's a lot different than I'm going to give and then I'm going to take away, right? Some people say things like, God is testing me, man, with one test after another. I've even been guilty of saying that in the past. Man, is God testing me? But Jesus says, God will never lead you into temptation, but will deliver you from it. Isn't that beautiful? Why? God is our salvation. God is our deliverance. We can sum it up like this. Trust your loving Father, and you will not give in the temptation. It's a trust thing. And so many times when we give in a temptation, it's because we're, we're living out of the wrong identity. We don't know who we are. And listen, no condemnation, because you're on a journey. So there's plenty of things I look back on and go, wow, how, how would I think that? Why would I give in to that? Because I didn't know who I was. But the more that I know who I am, and the more that I trust my loving Father, guess what? I say no to sin. I don't give in to those temptations anymore. Isn't that powerful? And then the final part is this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. See, we begin our prayer with praise. Hallowed be thy name. And we finish with praise. See, when we fill our prayers with praise, boasting in the awesomeness of our heavenly father, you know what happens? Our faith is stirred up. That's the beauty of it. I think about when Jesus prayed. Just about every prayer of of Jesus on this earth started out with thankfulness. I thank you, Heavenly Father. I thank you, Father. I'm thankful, Father. There's something about thankfulness. 
But I, I think in order to get to that place, it's going to take time. I know trust doesn't happen overnight. In fact, even as I'm saying this idea of father, this really didn't dawn on me until just now. Maybe you're someone who grew up in a household where you didn't have a father. Or you had a father who was there but not. Or you had a father who was verbally or physically abusive. And so even the idea, that's one thing I love about the book, Turn Movie, The Shack, is that for Mac, this character in, in the, the story, he first had to see God as a woman because he had a horrible relationship with his father. And this is the thing that's cool about God. If you look all through scripture, I mean, I mean, God is called, I mean, basically referred to, God is spirit, right? But female attributes, male attributes. I mean, he's rock, a refuge. I mean, you go on, there's all these different ways where people are trying to, you know, see God in a certain way. But maybe you do struggle with that. So maybe you need to see God as a mother or something else. That's okay. But I want you to know this, that God is a good, good father. He's a giver of good gifts. And so it's in these moments where we begin with thankfulness and praise. We end with thankfulness and praise, and it stirs up our faith to say, God, I trust you. And here's the thing I found about prayer. We don't pray in reaction to our circumstances, but we pray in response to our Father's goodness. Too often earlier in my walk, my prayers were just reactions. And I've learned this through, you know, a lot of personal growth is that the best way to live life is to be in response mode, not reaction mode. And so even in prayer, if that's where you are, sometimes our prayers are just, what's going on now? You react to it and you pray about it. What's going on now? You react to it and you pray for it. Rather than responding to our Father's goodness. It doesn't mean that something around you is is going awry. It doesn't mean that there's not a bad circumstance. I'm not saying let's ignore it. That's Faith is not ignoring things. Faith is saying, even though this is going on in my life, I got to support. I don't understand what's going on here or what's going on there. I don't know why they left me. I don't know why this person is treating me this way. No matter what's going on around you, you see that, but then your response is in your Father's goodness. Father, you have this. I cast this care on you. I even give this person to you. And I choose to release them. I'm going to forgive them in this moment. I'm not going to hold on to this because this does me no good. In fact, it hurts me more than it would hurt them. So it's in those moments where rather than our prayers being reactions to circumstances, as we mature, they become responses to our Father's goodness. And so I believe that the prayer that Jesus taught us is brilliant because it covers everything from the big stuff to the small things, the daily needs, and really fully encompasses our relationship with others. The other thing prayer is not is a set of magic words. Now, it depends probably on your background or where you come from, but, you know, I almost used to see it. I wouldn't say that, but I almost saw prayer as if you do it a particular way, a certain amount of times, you include enough scripture verses, Abracadabra, (laughs) something happens. But see, prayer is not a set of magic words. I believe it's an invitation to approach the throne of grace in your time of need. 
I believe it's an openness to just talk to your Heavenly Father, to get things off your chest. Sometimes we just need to get stuff off our chest. Come on. And some may treat the Lord's Prayer, you know, as a religious, you know, lifeless set of words. But I believe that its real power is in its revealing of a wonderful God who loves us like a father and cares for even the smallest details of our life. When we begin to see that, prayer becomes a whole different thing and it becomes a different, we approach it in a different way, if you will. Because a misunderstanding of prayer can cause us to reject the intimacy that Christ invites us to. And what do we do? We embrace an inferior relationship of isolation. See, the difference between the two is the revelation of love. Love has got to be the basis for everything. And so I do believe this, that praying in the manner that Jesus taught, you know what it does? It changes us. It's not a set of magic words that changes God. God is unchanging. He's already given you everything you need for life and godliness. What does prayer in this manner do? It changes us. See, it transforms us from desperate, lonely individuals into who we truly are, dearly beloved children of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Will you stand with me? I know this may seem kind of basic, but I really hope the last two weeks has helped you to at least have a different perception of prayer. And I believe I said this last week that it's really hard, I believe, to try to harness like the specifics of something when that something is experiential. See, the way you pray or hear God's voice is probably different than the way that I pray and hear God's voice. But within this, again, it's, it's, it's Jesus's brilliant way of showing us how we can begin to have this relationship with God. We can mature from prayers like I heard everyone pastor say it like this. My name is Jimmy. I'll take you all you can give me. And I'll be honest, there were times when I was young in the Lord where that's kind of what my prayers were. I My intentions weren't gimme, 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 but when I look back at it, it was kind of like I'm looking at what you can give me. And then one day, like this revelation hit me. He's already given you everything you need for life and godliness. Oh, so now prayer is responding to what he's already done and it's embracing what he's already given and it's taking claim, it's laying hold of whatever he's already provided. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You care for us down to the smallest details big things and small things. You're so forgiving and so loving. I thank you that as we draw closer to you and we begin to have those moments with you, we sense the the gravity and the reality of your love for us, of your forgiveness toward us. That gets me every time, just the fact that in fact, it, it, in certain moments, it will cause me to make better decisions for myself or for others because of your love and forgiveness toward me. And so rather than things just being a formula and words that I put together, it's a real-life relationship 
where I begin to know you more and more. And you change me from the inside out. It's an inside job. I'm changed from the inside out. And so we're thankful for that, that you never give up on us. You never grow tired or wearisome of us. Your intent is for us to discover our true self, our true identity made in your image and likeness. And so I pray for some of us who maybe were struggling with this idea of prayer, that maybe this is a new way to pray. This is a new way to see what prayer is, that it becomes an everyday continual communion with you where we slowly but surely hear your voice. It's so amazing. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your openness with me. I embrace it. I am dearly loved. I am your child. I own that. It's mine. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Did you see that this morning? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.